Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. The way to survive the storm is to build your house. Jesus said some would stand while some will fall. And I want you to build. If you're going to build, you got to build on the truth. And how can we build on truth if we don't even know what truth is anymore? Today, we're going to look at what Genesis 1 says is the truth about God and about you. Thanks for coming out. It's really good to see you guys here today. We're in our third week in this message series called Superstructure. We've been talking all year long. I've been talking all year long about building your house to withstand the storm. And we're seeing the storm blowing all around us. And I'm not talking about just rain and clouds and thunder and lightning. We're watching our world come apart at the seams all around us. He told us, Jesus told us the storm would come. And he said, only some would stand while many will fall. And my heartbeat for 2022 is for you to build a house that will stand. I wanna see you stand. I want your family to stand. I want your spouse and you to stand. I wanna see you be an overcoming, victorious follower of Christ. And I wanna see you stand and lead all of the people that God's called you to lead closer and closer to him. So that's what we're talking about. And in this series uh, that we're on week three with, we're talking about our superstructure. The first half of the year or so, we talked about laying the foundation. Who is it that we're building on? It's it's not a thing, it's a person, who is it? Jesus Christ. And so we talked about you know, laying that firm foundation and building on that rock that is Jesus. But now in this series, I want to talk about the superstructure of the house, the thing that's above the ground, the thing that you're building, you know, because my whole idea on this series is, is just simple. It's that the, the materials that you use will determine the quality and the value of your house. You know, the the things that you use to build your house will determine whether it will stand or not. You're building on a firm foundation, but what are you actually building? How do you think about God? How do you think about your family? How do you think about your responsibilities in this world, about your involvement in our community, about, about who you are uh, here in this place? So, so what are we doing in this series? We're taking our responsibility seriously. We're determining that we're gonna build the superstructure of our house the way God has called us to build it. And we're gonna build it so that it will stand with the right materials. Right in 1 Corinthians 3, here's, my, here's kind of my idea on this, is that no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already have, and that's Jesus Christ. And anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, This isn't even talking about the storm. It means on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 
I want your house to stand. So we're creating a building plan here. We're coming up with the parameters of what we're building and how we're going to do it. Having a building plan is really important. Right, having a plan, establishing the plan, it predetermines all of your choices. Right, it helps you know what to say no to and helps you know what to say yes to. Having a plan helps you differentiate between gold and jewels versus hay and straw. Right, having a plan helps you deal with your goals. It determines your goals in life. It helps you guide and conduct your marriage and your other relationships. When you've got the building plan in place, you'll know how to react when everything seems to be falling apart around you. You'll know how to invest and deal with your money. You'll know how to raise your kids. You'll understand how to invest your time. All this comes from the building plan. So we want to build our house on the truth. And for the last two weeks, we've talked about where truth comes from. And we've talked about the authority of scripture and how we don't plan according to man's plans. We plan according to God's plans. Am I right? So we value the scripture as the authority in our life. We value it because we believe that it is God's truth for us. And we want to build our home, build our house to be true, to stand. Am I right? Anybody with me on that? Yes. Right. Truth is important. But have you noticed that all of the everything in media is seeking to confuse you about what the truth even is? Have you noticed that? I mean, their goal seems to be to steal truth right out from underneath you, to confuse you as much as possible about what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. If you, if you just watch the media, you'll think you're the only one that's the weirdo and believes something different, right? I mean, just take, just take the news, for example. You ever thought about when you, when you pick a news source, you're picking a version of truth. And I promise it's a broken version of truth. Right, when you, when you watch, I mean, it just, it doesn't matter which one, let's say it's a super conservative news source or a super liberal news source. You pick one and whatever side it is, you know, on one day, you know, they will say stuff like, you know, the, all the law enforcement agencies are bad and terrible. They're corrupt and they're awful. We need to defund them because they're ruining everything and they're making everybody's lives miserable. We should not have the law enforcement. We need to get rid of it and do a, a you know, reset on all that. You know, until the opposing political candidate gets investigated, now they're wonderful and you can believe everything they say and do. You should trust everything that they have to say. And if they won't say, well, we should just trust that they're doing the right thing. Right? Hello, am I the only one? Truth seems to change from day to day, right? No matter which side you, you look at, the elections, they were crooked and corrupt and stolen out from under us because we lost. 
until, the, until their candidate wins, and then, oh, it's safe and secure elections, best one we've ever had, right? Now, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just telling you that whatever you watch, whatever you consume, they're seeking to confuse you about the truth. And they want to rob truth right out from underneath you. And that's just the news. I'm not even talking about Disney's gay agenda for your kids. Okay? I mean, I'm not even going to go there. And it's not just Disney. It's all of them. They just want to confuse you. They want to confuse your kids. They want to steal your grandkids from you. Okay? They're, they're trying to take truth that nothing's real anymore. Nothing's true anymore. There is no good, bad, right, wrong. They want to steal truth away from you. It's interesting. Without truth, there's no reality. Without truth, nothing is stable. Nothing is reliable. No wonder we're raising the most depressed generation the planet has ever seen. They're depressed, confused, scared, and even suicidal. Suicidal like no other. They're not getting married. They're not having kids. And they're killing themselves. There's more drug addiction today than ever. There's literally more suicides than ever. I mean, I love going to the Great Smoky Mountains. I go there all the time. I love the hiking. I love the views. I love the waterfalls. I love all that stuff. And a lot of times I stay in Gatlinburg. So I was there a couple of weeks ago for a thing. I was actually at a meeting with some people and we met there. And while we were there, somebody jumped off one of the chairlifts and intentionally killed themselves. And to yesterday, this weekend, just a couple of weeks later, somebody jumped off the sky bridge and intentionally killed themselves. That's two in just a couple of weeks in that one little town. It's awful. It's tragic. And people are more scared, more depressed. They're, they have less hope now than ever because we've robbed truth from our people. It's interesting what Jesus says about this. His goal for you is not that you'll be confused about truth. His goal for you, he says clearly in John 8, that you will know the truth and that the truth will set you free. Jesus says there is freedom in truth. Without truth, no reality, but the truth sets you free. In other words, this is the way I'm going to say it, first blank on your page. Freedom only exists because of truth. You hear me? You are a slave to everything and everyone when there's no truth. You're a slave to what the culture says. You're a slave to what your boss says. You're a slave to what your kids think. You're a slave to what the system programs you to be. You're a slave to your emotions and your appetites. Of course you're going to be scared, depressed, lonely, isolated, fearful, no wonder, because it's the truth that sets you free. Freedom only exists because of truth. We've got to stop thinking like the culture thinks. If we're going to build our house and if we're going to stand through the storm, we, something's got to change about what goes on between our ears. Am I right? Romans 12, you know this verse, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
You see that? He wants to change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Not scary, not confusing, but good and pleasing and perfect. So we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change, hey, we've got to change what we feed our brains. Because Proverbs 15 had this figured out a long time ago. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. I was talking to someone earlier who's just like me. I've kind of quit watching the news, but I have YouTube. And here's the thing, here's the thing. As soon as you watch one video that makes you mad about whatever's going on in the world, it feeds you 30 more. Here's more, oh, you like that? Here's more. And it's trash after trash after trash. And I, I, watch, I watch stuff that's respect, it's not like it's, you know, your typical goofy little influencer thing. I watch respectable stuff, but it's so much trash. What, is, what am I feeding on? You know, I'm designed to be a co-heir with Christ. And the Bible describes me seated at a banquet table at the wedding feast. Yet I'm much more like a raccoon in a dumpster. <laughs> you laugh because you know it's true. I feed on the trash far too. What am I consuming in my mind, in my heart? What are the things that are forming my thoughts? Am I letting Marvel form my thoughts? Am I letting Paramount form my thoughts? Am I letting Apple and Google and Amazon form my thoughts? What's determining my building plan? 1 Corinthians 14 says, don't be children in your thinking. You know, a child, when they're a little child, you know, my grandkid age, they, they think what their parents tell them to think. They believe what their parents tell them to believe. Their worldview is formed by mom and dad. Yeah, I'll just, okay, I'll just believe what I see. So I watch the drag queens on television or I watch the garbage on YouTube and it's telling me, stop, stop being a child in your thought process. When it comes to evil, be an infant. Don't know anything about it. But in your thinking, be mature. If you're gonna have a good building plan, if you're gonna build your house, you and I gotta think this through. We gotta, we gotta think it through to where we get our plan into place because your kids need you to. Your spouse needs you to. You can't just let it happen. God put you here so that you can make it happen. He put you here to build your house. So that's what, that's what we're doing in this series. In week one, we talked about the big picture. We looked at the question of why God created the universe, one of my favorite sermons I've ever preached, and it was like an hour and a half long. I'm sorry, but it was long, um, but you guys seemed to like it. You gave me a lot of really good feedback on that one. Uh, and then last week, we talked about our authority, the Word of God.
and where our source of truth really comes from. And so today, I want us to kind of zoom in a little bit. I want us to zoom back in. I want us to go back to that creation story. And I want us to not just kind of glance over it as we're looking at the big picture. I want us to zoom in on the creation story because if we're gonna, if we're gonna build our house on truth, I think there is more key core truth packed into this very, very beginning sentence or two or three of the scripture than maybe just about anywhere else. So I want us, if we're gonna, if we're gonna know the truth, let's see what the scripture tells us is the truth because this, this will bend your thinking. All right, if, if you wanna be transformed in the way you think, if you don't wanna think like the world, it starts in Genesis 1. So let's look at it right here. And you know this passage. Everybody in the room knows this passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, remember? And, we, and there's a word here that doesn't belong. The, that's right. The is not in the original Hebrew. So in beginning, and, and that, boy, it's a whole sermon. If you missed that sermon, dude, take an hour. Just take an hour and listen. It's on the website. It's on our podcast. I, I'm telling you, it, it'll change the way you view the entire universe. Uh, in beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is really, really key for us to understand what this is telling us. And, and I want to be clear. I want to be really clear. I understand that in our culture today, for, for students today, for you guys, uh, y'all are in a, in a terrible position. I'm sorry. Uh, we've allowed the wrong thinkers to take over academia, especially in higher education. And they have set up this false dichotomy that you must either believe in the mythological creation story of God or everything science proves. And that the two are somehow opposed to each other and cannot get along. And their goal is to deprogram you from everything that your mom and dad ever taught you and everything you ever read in the Bible and to re-educate you into their worldview. And I'm sorry, because that's not true. That's not even true. That, that whole dichotomy is not even really a thing. It's just a political ploy that's been set up to undermine you and confuse you so that you can think like they think. So I just, I just wanna be clear, there's no science versus religion here. That's not the goal of this whole thing. When Moses was inspired by God to write these words, he, he never, never had a clue that anybody would ever come along one day and say, well, we can prove otherwise. That wasn't the thing. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to set up this dichotomy. He's not trying to tell you what happened in what order and how it all happened. That's not even his goal here. The goal of Genesis 1 is not to say, how did it all come together? In fact, the next blank on your page is this, Genesis answers the who question. It's not the how question, it's the who question. The goal of Genesis is not to say, well, this happened, then this happened, this happened. It, it does describe some stuff, and we'll look at it here in a minute, but the goal of Genesis is to scream loudly that there is a creator God. 
that has made all of this. There is a person who is above me and you. You are not the ultimate end all be all. This is not about you and your little tiny universe. God has a plan for all of this and he's the one that's in charge. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's look at that verse, Genesis 1, 1. I feel like an old school preacher today but I'm really glad you're talking to me. I need you to talk. That, the early service, I'm just gonna start calling it the coma service. <laughs> I, I need help from you guys, okay? That's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We're gonna, we, we just need to intravenous feed them coffee as they come in or something, because it's tough. So I, I appreciate your help, thank you. Okay, uh-oh, I'm gonna be in so much trouble. <laughs> What? You're gonna tell my mom? She was, my mom was here. She sits in the back with her arms crossed a lot like you do, Mike Ivester. <laughs> so, okay, Genesis 1, 1, let's look at it again. In the beginning or in beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so let's take this apart just a little bit, really quickly. In the beginning, here's what this is telling us. Uh, God, this word right here, God, we translate this word God, the Hebrew word here, and in all the beginning of uh, Genesis is the word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, this is a fascinating word. I wish I had time to really go into it a lot. Um, you probably know the El means God, means God, El, Elohim, Beth El, you know, the house of God. Uh, so El, but then you add this modifier on here and you know what this does? This makes this word, this crazy paradox thing. This means it's plural. So literally, if you were to translate it, it would say in beginning, God's uh, created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God's uh, created. What is the deal there? What's going on? You can kind of get the idea of what's happening, you know, because we'll look at it here in a minute. But he says, let us make man in our own image. Who's he talking to? God's. Uh, we are so blessed to live in the day that we live because even though we understand this today. They didn't understand it originally. They were confused by it. I mean, here's Moses writing about this, and, and we have a clear theology about this. What does this mean for us? Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Father, right? We call it the Trinity, right? We call it the Trinity, three in one. Somehow, I, I can't fully explain it, somehow God is one. Scripture's clear about this. Hear, O Israel, the Shema says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is uno. Oh, sorry, one. I, I'm thinking about going to El Rey after this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He's one. Yet we also know that he is plural. He is three in one. And we have a really good theology about this. There are three distinct individuals who are each unique with their own thoughts, their own personality. They are three, but yet they are one. They're one in three, three in one. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But 
we know today that that's the reality. The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all clearly evident throughout the Old Testament, but they, they didn't have a good theology about it yet, and we're so blessed because it's been so clearly revealed to us, especially in the New Testament, to describe that. So in the beginning, Elohim uh, created. In the beginning, Elohim created. I like this word too, created the heavens and the earth. I just gotta, I gotta be really clear about what this is because in our mind today, in the 21st century, when we think created, you know, we think something from nothing, right? Uh, we think planets spinning through empty space, something from nothing. We think about matter, coming from just nowhere, out of stuff is there, right? That's the way we think it, right? Is that what, that's what we think of creation. Am I the only one? Is that what you think about when you think creation? Because that's what I think about. Maybe I am the weirdo. So, but when, when, when the Hebrew people first read this, when they would say it, there was a great oral tradition about this. When Moses wrote this, that's not what they were thinking. For the Hebrew mind, creation isn't something from nothing. For them, creation is order from chaos. Very different concepts. Same thing, but very different. At the same time, it's order from chaos. That's why when you read the creation story, it's talking about God separating waters and creating an expanse. He separates the land from the waters, the waters from the waters. He's taking what is chaotic and he's bringing order to it. So for them, it wasn't matter exploding into existence. For them, it was order coming from chaos. Does that make sense? So they had a really different thought process about what creation really even is. Look at Genesis 1, 1 and 2 here. Um, so verse 2 is what I want to look at. The earth, right here you see it was formless and empty. It was not really describable. It's just chaotic. And darkness covered the deep waters. So it's not that poof, there's, a, there's a ball in space. It's that there were deep waters in the darkness. Two of the primary symbols of chaos in the Hebrew culture were darkness and deep water. The abyss is a place where no one can survive. In their mind, it's a place where nothing can survive. It's, it's a terror-filled disaster waiting to happen. And so it's a, it's a place of, of terror and, and darkness, you know. So when you associate the realm of the dead and all that stuff, it's all this kind of stuff. We think fire and agony and screaming and pain. They thought darkness and deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the whole act of creation is bringing order. In fact, you see it go through. You see him doing his act of creation. So he separates water from water, and then he separates land from water. And then he, um, after he creates these environments, then he begins to fill each environment with creatures, uh, fish in the water, birds in the air, and creatures that scurry along the ground. Right? He's bringing order out of chaos. That's God's creative 
work. His goal is to bring order out of chaos. And this is the pattern that we see, listen, in Scripture, right? I mean, after this happens, you know, he makes Adam and Eve, and then they fall, and we all enter into rebellion against God, right? And the world is... The world is now broken by sin and under the judgment of God. So God looks at us and he cannot stand our ongoing rebellion against him. So he calls a guy named Noah and he says, I want you to do something crazy. I know you live in the desert and I know you've never seen water actually fall out of the sky, but that's exactly what's gonna happen. You better build an ark. And God sends a deep water to the earth and consumes it. And then Noah and his family and those creatures on the ark are delivered onto later on dry land. God decreates, he lets it return to chaos, and then he restores a new order that he brings. Hello? And then later on, the people continue in their rebellion and it gets even worse. They think that they can be just like Lucifer was, that they can somehow rise up and come to the level of God. How dare they try to ascend the mountain of God? Sounds like that same argument that we had with Lucifer and all those people before. And so what does God do? He sends chaos. He confuses their language and they all have to scatter into chaos. He promised he wouldn't bring the deep water flood anymore. So now he descends, he lets chaos descend into everything. He decreates and restores with a new order. We see this pattern happen again and again and again. I could go through a bunch of them through Genesis, but you know, I just jump over to Exodus and I think about the people of God, his chosen people, but they exist in a condition where the king, the Pharaoh, is rebelling openly against God and will not let his people go. He's oppressing God's people. He's got them enslaved into the culture of this world and won't let them go. And so what does he do? He sends Moses, another guy that he calls, and he sends Moses, you know, you will bring my people, and they don't come out, they don't come out. And finally, finally, God delivers them miraculously, and what do the people do? They come out, and they go across the dry land through the water. And then what happens, the judgment of God comes on the people of Egypt, the army of Egypt, because they get plunged into the deep water. God decreates with chaos and then restores with a new order. Hello? You seeing that? But rebellion continues. It just continues and continues. And God's wrath continues to build up against sinful people. We deserve the decreation. We deserve the judgment of God. But then later on, later on, he calls another guy. He sends a guy, his own son, Jesus. And Jesus himself becomes the reset for us because he is plunged into chaos. He dies on the cross for my sin, takes my punishment for me on the cross, and he goes to the grave. He goes to the ultimate place of chaos, decreated, but then he rises again. And what Jesus does now is he comes to you and restores a new order. He brings something brand new. He takes you from death to life. 
And then when he does that, when he does that in your life, what do you do? What do you do? You get in the water and you illustrate exactly what he's doing in that great reset. You go down into the abyss, into the water, and you come up restored, reset into a whole new order. Am I right? That's what God does in our lives. Amen. Amen. So this is the pattern that God is establishing at the very beginning for us is to show who he is and what he does in us. Genesis is just the beginning of this great reset story that he is completing in you and me in Jesus. And the exclamation of Genesis 1 is the next blank on your page, that all of this was created by one creator God. All of this created by one creator God. In the world at the time, this was a revolutionary thought because there were plenty of gods. There were lots of gods and they fought with each other about who was really in charge. And all of them, at the time, all of them were gods formed by man. But here Genesis represents a God that formed man. The one God that is above all the other gods. So God creates the world and he forms everything in the world and he wraps it all up on the sixth day by creating us, by creating human beings. So let's look at that in Genesis 1:26. God finishes his creative work by saying, here it is again, look at this, let us, here it is us, make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, the livestock and the wild animals. They will bring order out of chaos. I've created them to act on my behalf here. They look like me, they act like me, they represent me here, bringing order out of chaos, right? Making us last. Last. So the last day of creation is us. I wonder sometimes, <laughs> are we an afterthought? I mean, it's the sixth day. He's getting pretty tired. It's one day before rest day. Last thing, it's the last day. It's the last hour right before the, you know, the whistle goes off. God's, okay, got a little dirt left. Let me just kind of, there you go. Man, dirt man. What? Well, I'm done now. I'm taking a break. Are we an afterthought? Are we a happy accident? Because the world wants you to believe you are nothing more than a happy accident. They want you confused into thinking that you just happened to, you know, if all at some point some creature said, you know, this is really going to work out a lot better if there's two eyes instead of one. You know, if there's if I got ears back here and eyes up front and legs I can walk, you know, at some point some 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 creature figured out better to walk upright than on all fours. You know, somehow somehow you just happen to fall into place by accident. And I just wanna be really, really, really clear that the scripture 
paints the exact opposite picture of that. If you are an accident, you have no purpose here. If you are an accident, there's no reason for you to be here. If you're an accident, then all the disaster that might come into your life is bigger than you. So you should probably jump off of a bridge or off of a chairlift because there's no reason for you to be here. It's just more pain than it's worth. But I want you to know that Genesis paints the complete opposite picture. That you are not a happy accident, you're not an afterthought. But in fact, we started looking at it just last two weeks ago at the beginning of this series. I wanna look at a few verses we, we looked at before that are not in Genesis, but that kind of give us insight into what really happened here as God created us. Psalm 93 says, the Lord is king, he's robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken, right? But your throne, O Lord, has stood from time immemorial and you yourself are from the everlasting past. So first of all, I want you to clearly see that scripture paints a picture of a God that pre-existed everything. The entire universe and time itself, he pre-existed everything. And then I wanna skip down to Revelation. We looked at this one too. All who dwell on the earth at the end time will worship the beast. They'll worship the beast. That's the representative of Satan. Everyone whose name, that is, who has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the lamb who was slain. In other words, in other words, all the time comes down and the ones that do not fall, the ones that stand are the ones whose name are written in the book of life of the lamb. And when were they written? Before the foundation of the world. Before in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that even happened, he wrote your name. If you're in Christ, he wrote your name in his book. In other words, what that means is the next blank on your page, God thought of us first, but made us last. He thought of us first, he wrote us down, and then begins Genesis 1-1. Again, I really worked through all this in a message from two weeks ago. I really recommend you go back and listen to that. It's long, but it's powerful, powerful, and will change the way you see everything. So. Um, Ephesians 1, let me continue to try to develop this idea out. Ephesians 1 says, even before he made the world, that's before Genesis 1, 1, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great Pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. His joy, his pleasure is to love you, his unique creation. I love the way the psalmist writes about this in Psalm 139, this same idea. It's very personal. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. 
Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before even a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. The creator God thinks about you. The creator God thinks about you so much that you can't even count his thoughts toward you. That ought to change everything about the way you see yourself. Revelation 4 we hear this praise to God. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist. You exist. I exist. Because you created, God, what you pleased. Another translation says what you created pleased you. I like that. That God made you because he was pleased with you. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? God looks at you, and if you're in Christ, he doesn't see broken down old you. He doesn't see the mistakes you've made. He doesn't see the hearts you've broken. He doesn't see your past at all. If you're in Christ, he sees the completed version of you, the final version that you are becoming. He doesn't see what you've been. He sees who he is making you into. And he is pleased with you. He thinks about you. His thoughts are towards you and he is for you. Peter says it like this. He says, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from that empty, purposeless, truth life that you inherited from your ancestors. And that ransom was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value but that ransom was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. God loves you. The God that spoke the world into existence and brings order to everything, he thinks about you. This truth, this key core truth that we find in Genesis 1 ought to bring you amazing hope. It ought to bring you amazing confidence. It ought to reset and bring a new order to everything about your life. That you are uniquely created in God's image. That you have a unique purpose and that he made you for a reason and if you're still breathing, he's not finished with you yet. Sure, this world is a disaster. Don't worry, it's going to get much worse. And let me just tell you, Brent, your hope is not in the next election. Because I don't care which party wins, it's not going to go your way. Am I right? 
This world is a disaster and it's getting worse. Your hope isn't in the election. Your hope isn't in the better job. Your hope isn't finding the right spouse or the better upgraded spouse. Your hope is not in some imaginary ship coming in. Your hope is in the creator God, the Elohim. Yeah, he has you right where he wants you. He's got you in his hands. And he, we sang it earlier, he makes the darkness tremble. Your hope is that you are his, that you belong to him. And because you're his, you have amazing potential. You're becoming something much better, much more, much greater. You have a house to build. You have a, have a legacy to pass on. He has designed you and is living in and through you. Follow him and follow his plan because he is the way and the what? Truth and the life. The truth will free you. It will liberate you from being enslaved to your disaster of the moment, your circumstances of the day, your emotions on how you feel. You will no longer be enslaved to your fears or your problems or your limitations. This core truth informs me, and it's the last blank on your page, that I'm fully free to become everything he designed me to be. That's what this all really means for you and for me.